Welcome back, everyone. This is the Bless You Boys podcast, episode 7. Uh, Bless You Boys is the home for the best, worst, and everything in between in t- Detroit Tigers baseball on the SB Nation platform. I'm your host, Brandon Day. I'm a staff writer and editor at Bless You Boys, and with me is my co-host, Ashley McLennan, who is also a staff writer and editor at Bless You Boys, as well as elsewhere. Ashley, how's it going? Much better. You'll notice, uh, folks with a keen eye will notice we are later than usual this week, and you can blame me for that. Uh, I had a very, very, very bad cold this week, and I am now finally capable of breathing, and apologize in advance if you get any errant sniffling noises from me in the background. <laughs> we will test my editing skills with your with your sniffing. We'll see, we'll see if my anti-sniff filter works. Um, although I might be sniffing as well. It just seems like someone at work has been like dead sick like every day like for weeks it's <laughs> just yeah one way or the other i usually don't take any days off from my day job like i i get paid sick days thankfully i'm lucky but last year i didn't use any and i had to use one this year and so for me it's actually a very big deal oh yeah i never get sick and i'm like oh nope i gotta take the day man oh my god and like a it was not pleasant. You had the same, yeah. You have the same attitude I've always had. I finally got paid sick time, like maybe three years ago, and I didn't use any the whole first year. And finally, like our HR person was like, "What? What's wrong with you?" Like one day when she's, <laughs> I was all sick and stuff. She's like, "Why don't you just just go home sick?" And I was just like, "Oh yeah." So they finally they finally trained me to like oh, just go ahead and call in sick. And I was like, "Oh, this is what a luxury after twenty five years of of work." <laughs> working in retail or like i was a temp for a while that like if you take a sick day it's at your own expense basically like it's 120 bucks that you would have been getting paid otherwise it's not going to hit your bank account so you like you need to be sick if you're going to take a sick day yep like i'll drag myself in there and just tuck myself in a corner and sneeze if i have to i got a real grown-up girl job so i i can take sick days if i got the sniffles so that's what i did beautiful yeah i mean you know you just might as well i just i just assume throw everybody out like listen you're sick i don't want you around get out <laughs> exactly like i don't want to risk everybody so and thankfully not not going to pass it through the podcast so we can at least keep ourselves healthy although i was already accused of sending it through the internet to you no, I, okay, <laughs> I have this theory now that brandon is trying to like usher me out of the podcast because he just you know i don't know if this was mentioned in last week's podcast but he just so happened to record our entire hour of dialogue <laughs> which I, I asked for this i was super witty and like really on the ball and i totally had all my facts and i just sounded like a pure genius and he recorded five minutes of it, and the rest was gone. So the podcast you heard last week was a backup edition that I was not a part of. <laughs> yep. So thanks, Brandon. So that's my theory. Yeah, yeah, that's all, that's all my bad. I have to admit, that's, that's my bad. And she was trying to replace me with Rob. Yeah, and you were you were glorious. You were glorious on the podcast. I know, but, you know, the thing is, like, I like having you both. And you're more fun, yeah. but Rob is great. So, I don't know. I, I want you both, but I don't know. No, no, I get it. I'm more fun, but Rob knows more. Yeah, I'm sorry, but yeah, that might, that might, that might be kind of it. Rob knows more than most people. Plus, I could ask him about my various medical issues as well. I take offense to that, Rob. knows more than almost anybody I've ever met about Tiger's baseball, so. Yep. I know, and he doesn't let it out. That's the nice thing about Rob is that he could just, like, probably handle the whole site himself and stuff. But no, he lets everyone have their little, yeah. their little moments of being smart here and there. It's great. Yeah. Very subtle, but yeah, Rob. Rob is the man. Yeah, he is the man. That's true. 
and not secretly listening while we record this, so... I wouldn't be surprised if Rob had never... He probably hasn't even listened to the episodes he's been on. He's <laughs> like, I'm a busy man. I'm just, I hit it and I'm out. So, he yeah, he does. So, we're getting closer, finally, to spring training. We saw... Pause. Truck day happened this week, which was cool. Truck day. It's such a stupid thing to get like as excited about as I do. But like the second I see those photos go up of them loading those cases on the truck, I'm like, oh, it's coming. And I just get so excited. And I, it's such a stupid promo thing, too, because you know Pause is going to show up and he's going to like make things hard for everyone. Yeah, be oh, wacky. will he get into next? But like... I just enjoy it so much. And I did notice in the video the Tigers released that Paws did get his updated jersey with the new Old English D on it. Oh, he did, yeah. He wasn't matching during Tigers' caravan. He had the old one still. So he has the newly updated jersey now, in case anybody was really worried about that. (laughs) They finally got him caught up to speed. He was last, though. I think the D on his cap is still pretty small, though. Mm, You need a bigger D there, Paws. It's It's just the way it is. I know, I know. I was almost just flooded, flooded with jokes, and we'll just, just, just leave it alone. I made the worst one on Twitter last <clears> week, and I don't think we can top it. No, meaning the best, yeah. So, if you don't follow Ashley on Twitter at ninety feet from home, you are probably missing out on many things. Maybe sometimes it's just like me bitching about my runs, but yeah, sometimes it's actual baseball topical yeah. conversation. There's that glorious moment, you know, once a week where you just you just crush crush a massive pinch hit home run out there, and everybody's like, "Oh, dang!" So yeah, I mean, truck day—it's no big deal, but they've almost got me like, you know, kind of Pavlovianly trained to just be like, "Oh, truck day, here we go, we're almost there." And it's just been such a dang miserable off season that yeah, just seeing pause in the truck was like, "Okay, here we go, I'm feeling a little better, like we're getting close," you know. I feel like like my usual trajectory in the spring is I get very excited like for the next three or four weeks and there's all these reports coming out about you know everyone's in the best shape of their life and somebody's working on this new pitch and all this stuff is happening and then like late in spring training it'll suddenly dawn on me again that like oh this is gonna be a rough season. Oh, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna suck, but for like the next little bit it's just gonna be like right we have baseball back. I, there was actually um, Peter of our staff. Um, shared a stat from the the Indians truck day truck that I thought was pretty cute um, that was shared on Twitter and it was the items being shipped in the Indians equipment truck included 72 tubs of double bubble 144 (laughs) boxes of sunflower seeds including barbecue ranch dill pickle kettle roast and original flavors wow Uh, I'm pretty sure Spitz is still the official sunflower seed of the MLB (laughs) <laughs> and 10,368 baseballs. Wow. Is ridiculous. It is crazy. You see those giant boxes, and I just, I'm like, I want x ray vision. I'm like, is that, is there like 500 bats in that one box? Like, what's going on? Oh, it's nuts. It's insane. And he, of course, like, they're all the custom designs, like, made specifications, Louisville Slugger, more stick bats that everyone's got going on for them, so yeah. I love it. Yeah, I still would like I still need to get a war stick bat. Like, you know, before my allegiance to Ian Kinsler fades with him at the Angels, I, I need to go do that probably. No, I agree. They can get the like the autograph engraved ones and they're actually they're beautiful bats. And it's not like we're going to stop seeing them with Kinsler gone, because uh, Castellanos uses one. Uh, I think McCann started using them towards the end of the season. I saw him with one a few times. You just never know if maybe they, he borrowed them. But yeah, it seems like Nick for sure is on board. 
Yeah, Nick is definitely because he went and did like the the tours of the factory and everything like that. So he seems to be like fully into the war stick Kool Aid. Um, and they are they're beautiful bats. So I don't know. Yeah, they do make nice stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and they're definitely spreading the gospel around the leagues because tons more people were using them towards the end of last season than at the beginning. Yeah, yeah, there was some off-season stuff of uh, Justin Upton filming a commercial that looked a lot like a, like a you know, Fox Sports Detroit Tigers commercial with like fire in the background and like <laughs> him taking some cuts and stuff. Here's my thing, Brandon. Why didn't we save the flaming dumpsters? Uh, as promo material for this season, because it feels a lot more appropriate. Maybe, but it, it was also, you know, it was a nice foreshadowing last year, maybe. So. Yeah, that's true. So they got to it. Yeah, you know, I would like to get a war stick bat, and like two years ago, I finally, this is what happens when you get older, finally, and have the money to buy things that you can't really use anymore, but wanted when you're a kid. I got like this sweet Mizuno infielder's glove that I'd been looking at for years, bought that. When was the last time you actually went on and played catch? I'm just curious. I, well, you know, I play, like, two days ago, I play catch at work with my buddy who I work with almost every day at lunchtime, or we'll go out for, like, 15 minutes and just throw it around outside the library and threaten, you know, various police cars and city vehicles that are circling the area and stuff like that. All yeah. Right, all right, I'll allow it. Yeah, we do play More quite a bit. Than I've gotten out of my, uh, my Louisville Slugger that I got when I did the factory tour. Yeah, the bat's just going to sit there, which is pretty much, like, what my middling little career as a baseball player was in Little League in the beginning of high school. It was like, yep, you might as well just leave the bat. Keep the glove, keep the arm, no bat. So, All right, so we've got a whole bunch of, I mean, we've kind of been pretty busy. Um, the whole site is kind of ramping up here as we get close to spring training, but you started a series on Detroit Tigers history and specifically the, the 50th anniversary of the 90, 1968 team. And you started off with Bill Freehan, and that article actually had a whole bunch of stuff about Bill Freehan I had no idea about, which is kind of the point of this. This is my goal, Brandon, because you apparently learned some stuff from my Ernie Harwell piece last week, too. I did. And I'm I'm pretty pumped about this, because Harwell was your suggestion to me, so now my goal is to, like, dig up little nuggets that you don't know about and surprise (laughs) you. So what did I teach you in that piece that you didn't know? I mean, I, there, you know, to be honest, I just didn't know that much about Bill Freehan, and that's my bit. <laughs> I didn't realize he was an 11-time All-Star. I had no idea that he was... Uh... Yeah, his stats were... Mo- like, he didn't... He never... He was, like, something like a 262 career hitter. But he had one of the first Tigers catcher seasons um, of a 300 batting average. He was, like, the second Tigers catcher to get that kind of number. Oh, yeah. Um, and I point out to Patrick... Patrick O'Kennedy, who writes for our site as well, that every season in which Freehan caught more than 75 games, uh, he was an all-star. Huh. Well, that is interesting. He he was over 75 games behind the plate. He was an all-star that season. Really? Yeah, well, he was 11 of... 11 of 15 seasons, he was an all-star. Oh, that is interesting, yeah. And, you know, I know he had maybe five or six seasons where... Offensively, he was really good. Um, some of them, maybe he didn't. Well, no, even just looking at it, he played full time. 149 WRC plus and 68, 143. Yeah, he had like some incredible. And like his his average was always like just in the higher end of average. And I I have to wonder like because there were a couple seasons that were great that he had just great final numbers like a 300 season. There was like a 290 season. Um, and in those ranges like you can't count his first year which was like a 400 and something because he played in four games or something like that oh yeah 
obviously a little skewed. But, yeah, he uh, he was very quietly very, very good. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is he's, um, you know, in a lot of those good years, he had a really nice walk rate. Um, he seems like the kind of guy who may have gotten overlooked back when walks weren't quite, or at least on base percentage, wasn't quite so thought of. I mean, obviously, people considered it, but it wasn't kind of like the basis for, you know, offensive production that we've come to realize it is over the past 20 years, um, which kind of goes to, you know, why, you know, why catchers don't get in the Hall of Fame to begin with and why Bill Freehand specifically hasn't. There's, you know, Tim and Ted Timmons probably should be in, but you look down, um, you look at Freehand's numbers and yeah, I mean, it's, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's kind of baffling that they put such a, a weird lock on catchers where they have to, you know, produce the way a, you know, a corner outfielder who's supposed to hit 30, 40 home runs a year, you know, does when, yeah. you know, the workload on a catcher is just, you know, three or four times what it is for just about anybody else in the field. Yeah, and I, when I was doing the research for that piece, I was looking at like Bill James's, like the Bill James's rankings for catchers by by era, and Freehand routinely was either in the top ten or top fifteen of catchers for that, like for like a forty to fifty year time range. So like consistently at the catching position was incredibly reliable player, and I, I'd say like. <clears throat> ahead of this i never thought that i would have like been very gung-ho bill freehand hall of fame which is part of the reason i've been doing this history series because as a as a more recent tigers fan like i came on in 2011 that i don't know a lot of that 68 84 history like i know the big names but to to get in and like really dig into the nitty-gritty details I, I wouldn't have been able to name the 25-man roster of the 68 team, let alone tell you anything about them. Yeah. So, like, this has been a big opportunity for me, and I'm really excited to keep it going throughout the year because there's just so much, like, unexplored, interesting stuff here, and I'm, I'm now a big, big freehand, like, Hall of Fame robbery uh, <laughs> advocate. Like, I, I want him in on the the Legends Veterans Council or whatever. Yeah. I don't know if he's actually eligible for that, but yeah, I don't remember what the insane rules are. If they had to have dropped after a certain number of years, or has to have been a certain number of years since their last, since they were last considered for it. Yeah, there might be something like that. Although, I mean, Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell had been done a really long time, and Lou Whitaker dropped right off, and and I know he was at least considered with the yeah. whatever it is, the seventy one to. 87 i think committee the modern era committee so it'd have to be the one previous probably but yeah so that might actually be the one that votes this year because the the modern era and then there's the one prior to that and they vote in off years there's like three or four different versions of that committee and they vote in like some of them only vote in years that end in five or zero (laughs) yeah (laughs) even years it's a very strange system they've got going on it is although i really like that that they finally did something like this to let you know let guys of that era kind of sit down and say like listen we all thought this guy was a hall of famer you know whatever you guys think about the numbers yeah we're gonna put this one guy in you know buying or two guys in in this year's case and i I think freehand's definitely got the stats to make him arguably uh, a good option for that and and i will go to go to base for him next time that comes up he's right up there with lou now where i'm like Put him in. Yeah. Uh, next, you know, next we'll check into Lance Parrish, who also had a pretty incredible career in the 
and didn't didn't even get a whiff. I, I don't think Lance is quite that close. I think there were some other catchers in that era that were too good, but um, yeah, that that's another case to have to consider. But I'm like you, you know, like I, I know the '84 team because I I was just the right age for it when they won. Um, but yeah, the '68 team was was already like kind of just legendary, you know, like my uncles and grandparents and stuff telling me about them and stuff like that. So yeah, I'm not super familiar either, apart from the the major names. So yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to these. It should be a super interesting series to keep going all year. I thank you for the para- for the uh, the freehand suggestion, which was actually yours on Twitter the other day, that made me think that this might actually be a lot of fun to delve into, and it is. But as we're talking catchers and we're talking uh, Tigers catchers, I actually noticed some correlations between Freehand and a catcher that we are a little bit more familiar with. Mm, a catcher um, that is leaving to go somewhere dry? Yes. Well, oh. I suppose leaving isn't right because he wasn't with us anymore. Just um, in our hearts. Did, <laughs> in our hearts. Always in our hearts. Um, I did notice some interesting correlations between Freehand and Alex Avila, and before people start writing me hate mail (laughs) and calling me up on Twitter and being all like, please don't you dare compare Bill Freehand to Alex Avila, calm down. (laughs) I am not saying Alex Avila deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, good God. I love Alex Avila, but he will never be in the Hall of Fame. That's not happening, nope. Sorry, Alex. Um, I just noticed some, some really interesting, like, kind of those tough, rugged, like, rub-some-dirt-on-it player characteristics between Freehand and Avila that I thought were interesting, and that Freehand was, much like Avila, a magnet for getting hit by foul tips and balls, just hitting them all the time. I think in one season he got hit by foul tips 25 times. Oh, wow. Like, he... he, I'm going to have to mute for a second because I'm going to cough. Sorry. Oh, that's perfect. I can edit that out. <laughs> so he got hit a ton, but he also was one of those guys that like insisted on being behind the bag all the time. Like I think in the 68 season, and I wrote about this, he played 155 of the regular season games and every single game of the World Series. So, and, and I know that like of 2011-2012 Alex Avila, he was really similar in that way and they like you could count on that dependability of him being out there behind the bag no matter how many times he was, you know, concussed possibly <laughs> or like taking foul tips off the mask that were creating sparks. Oh, man. Like there was some intense Avila hits and that was one of the things that like first kind of struck me, no pun intended, about Alex and made me really like him was that he just took those hits and kept going. So he's was yeah. always a really impressive kind of character to me that way. And so like I said, I'm not saying Alex Avila is the Bill Freehand of his generation, but I did, I liked those like gamer kind of vibes that the, the two gave me in contrast, in yeah. comparison, I should say. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, in general, you know, catchers kind of are that guy, which is why I, I, I will like, get pretty defensive about catchers like when people are dogging them um you know and, and kind of going off on you know their production and stuff you know like i always have like just a little bit of like he's a catcher <laughs> let's say let's take it easy because i you know people who played the game maybe have a, have a better idea but i think most most people in general don't don't think to themselves like what the the job of catching in the major leagues entails every day like just how much like stretching, how much stress on the knees, oh, yeah. the you know legs in general. Yeah, I mean it's a brutal job. Um, and yeah, you don't see too many guys catching you know 
150 plus games anymore unless you play for Ned Yost. Um, yeah. That seems to be the nexus. But no, it's, that's the thing. It's why I'll never complain if a catcher isn't really offensively gifted as long as he's like a good catcher. Yeah. As long as he can call those games and he shows up every day. If he's hitting 240, 230, I don't care. Like, to me, you don't need a catcher to be your 274 guy. Like, yeah. you have you have guys that are there for that. You need your catcher to be the guy who's behind the dish, leading your pitchers, and and framing those pitches. And to me, that's way more important for a catcher to do than to hit the ball well. And if he does hit the ball well, that's a big bonus. Yep. Then he's then he should be probably an all star. And Alex now is that is going to be that guy. You know, he's going to go to Arizona. Um, he signed a two year deal for eight point two five million. I think there's some incentives, so he can kind of go out there now. It's nice that he got a two year deal. It's got to be hard. And you have like a young family, and this happens to all major leaguers, I'm sure. And they're all obviously they're all making pretty good money, so we're not going to shed too many tears. But to have to like you know move and play for a different team every three months, and you're getting dealt here and getting dealt there, so it's kind of nice he can settle in out there and kind of work with Jeff Mathis as his backup, and he can be the guy to provide some of that offense that Jeff Mathis now is the young guy who can't really hit too much, but is really good behind the plate. So Alex can kind of be his support now. I think he'll be a good teacher in that that role. Like Avila's always been really good with the younger guys and like being a leadership kind of guy. And he said earlier in the season in interviews that he wanted to play for a team near contention, and it, he wanted a longer term contract. Like it's got to be tough just waiting to be the fallback guy for dad. Yeah. Right. Like it would have been so nice to have him back in Detroit, but you know he would have been trade fodder come the July deadline like he would have been gone again and you can't force a guy to do that spend four months in one place and then three in the next and then not know where you're going a year after that so I think he definitely he found a good position for himself um he's a Florida kid so I don't think Arizona is going to be much of an an adaptive shift for him yep and you know he's after what we saw you know with the bat last year you know maybe maybe part of that is just like Oh geez, Dad brought me back. I've got to live up to this, <laughs> which he always, which he basically always has. But um, Jeff Sullivan at I think it was Jeff Sullivan at Fangraphs had a really good article on the quality of contact Alex Avila made last year, and it, it was pretty bananas. Like Alex Avila strikes out like a ton, he walks a ton, and on those rare occasions that he makes c- contact, he murders the baseball. He's like oh, he's a perfect like adam dunn like three true outcomes type hitter and he's like perfect for the era right now and yeah you put him out in that dry air i wouldn't be surprised to see him hit another you know 15 15 20 home runs depending on how many plate appearances he gets you know he can play first base so you know goldie's had a few injuries in recent years so maybe he'll get a little bit of work there too and uh, get himself 300 400 at bats and should do a lot of damage for those guys i would imagine that sullivan piece is actually great like it, it explored some stuff that i'd looked at earlier last season when Avila was on that home run rampage yeah and like the the direction of his swing and like the changes that he's made that are really effective and like you mentioned his walk rate has always been pretty impressive like he's he's got some really solid plate discipline which has always served him very well yeah yeah it allows them to you know even in a lot of the years where he hasn't really hit that much um you know he's he's still a useful useful player who gets on base and you can drive him in and you know for a catcher that's that's more than enough and then when you saw you know last year hitting whatever it was 14 home runs and like 350 plate appearances like that's pretty good so 
And, you know, the thing is, like, the last two years, I think he's been worth, like, 3.5 war or something like that, according to Fangraphs, which, you know, if you think of war as, like, okay, 7.5 million per war is, like, what you expect to pay on the free agent market until this free agent market when things are not playing out that way at all. But he's getting, you know, he's only getting 4 million a year. So, yeah, that, that just seems like, like a steal for the Diamondbacks, and presumably it was giving him the, uh, the extra year that kind of incentivized him to take that deal. There were probably teams offering him, like, one-year deals for $6 million, something like that. But, yep, so he can kind of go go be there and join that team and stick around for a little while as they kind of finish up whatever they've got left in their run. Seems like they've got it. Good for them. Yeah, they've got A.J. Pollock and Paul Goldschmidt, I think, both coming up to free agency. So they've, they've kind of got to get it done in the next year or two, it seems like. Absolutely. Yep. And let's see. So, yeah, we've got Alex Avila leaving us and that's okay he's going out there um for the tigers we at, at bless you boys especially like our coverage of the prospects um is is going to ramp up really quick um we released i think i wrote this one um our number 30th ranked prospect and we're going to go 30 to 1 over the next month um month and change and robert jackie our site editor also put up a, a post on the site about five who we who just missed making our top 30 list, and in that in that article, you can kind of get a little bit of an idea about how we kind of hash these things out. Um, but between Rob, me, and Jay Markle, who's um, kind of our main prospect writer most of the time, uh, we kind of just kind of beat those things up, and when it came down to number 30, we decided to get um, Eduardo Jimenez in there, who is a reliever who kind of got into some trouble last year, um, had a pretty ugly incident back in May where there was a brawl between the West Michigan Whitecaps and the Dayton Dragons, and Jimenez came onto the field holding a couple baseballs and appeared to fire them at high speed at a couple opposing dragons. Um, fortunately, no one was hurt there, but he was suspended 30 games. And when you look online and search Eduardo Jimenez, that's about all you're going to find about him, unless you go to scout.com and Tigstown or one of the one of the pay sites that keep track of prospects. So he's a guy I paid attention a lot to last year. Um, he's got a monster fastball he can ramp that thing up into the high 90s um it's got good sync and he's also got a slider that has kind of come along and looked really good um at times at least in the past year put up huge numbers last year at west michigan um didn't do so well when he went to lakeland after that but still looked pretty good and he's an interesting guy and the reason we gave him the nod i think is is in general is because he had tommy john surgery i think in 2015 missed the entire season missed most of 2016 2016 and then came back for just a little bit with um, Connecticut and then played all this year. So he's kind of one of those guys that, um, you know, he's 22 and he was only in A ball this year, but by the same token, he he missed a lot of time. So to see him kind of taking the steps he's taken since coming back, his strikeout rates have bloomed through the roof. And we also watched guys like Zach Reiniger, Joe Jimenez, and Jairo Labort kind of just rock it right through the system and get a look late later in the year. And I think Eduardo Jimenez is a guy who could possibly pull that off as well. So that's why he got got the nod there at number 30. Um, and you will see 29 through 25 will probably make it out um, onto the site either tomorrow and early next week or or thereabouts. Um, we're still kind of hashing those together. So that's the, the prospect coverage that's coming up. And we'll also probably have, um, we're hoping to have Emily Walton, um, from The Athletic, and possibly Chris Brown, who writes for Tigstown, who's our buddy from the Tigers SRD podcast on here. So we will start having some more pro- or prospect-focused shows. But um, for the time being, we'll just kind of leave that there. You can see those coming out on the site shortly. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about was Chris Bazio, who is 
made a lot of a lot of noise this week um and at tiger fest um he had had a lot of a lot to say about like his philosophy for for pitching and it sounds like he's been in contact with a lot of the the big names in in the tigers pitching staff um basically since the moment he was hired and has already kind of got all kinds of plans for him um that was kind of interesting to read that he had he had kind of gone in so hard he'd um what was for the deal with him he i think he got hit in the leg um throwing batting practice late in the year yeah injured ahead of the season and we have no disabled list for for pitching coaches nope and it sounds like he was kind of going crazy like this whole off season and just you know like i can't do the things i would normally do and just like just watching tons and tons of video and calling up you know michael fulmer like i want you to do this and yeah (laughs) so it's great this is unrelated and i i don't know how much like how much weight to put on this because it's uh, Anthony Fennick from the Free Press posted today on Twitter that he had just witnessed a Michael Fulmer um, set like a pitching session. Oh yeah, and apparently Fulmer looks like Fulmer, and I was <clears throat> right on the cusp of going which version. <laughs> um, but I'm just going to take Anthony's word that this is a good sign because um, it's one of the few times he hasn't said sources say, uh, and he saw it for himself. And I'm just going to choose to be very hopeful about the Michael Fulmer situation. But you wrote about Chris Bozio recently, um, didn't you? Yeah. Rob? Yep, you nope. Did. Yep, that was me. Yep. Yeah, so let's talk Bozio. I'm excited because he has uh, he has experience with wood. No pun intended again. I'm not making jokes. Uh, not. Yeah, the Tigers are just making it easy for us. You guys talked about wood last week, or did we not talk about wood? At all? No, we missed Travis Wood because I think he signed Monday. I think it was. He did, yeah. Okay, so Travis Wood um, is the new Tigers minor league acquisition, um, and no, you know what? I'm, I'm all for this. I wrote about the wood acquisition, um, and it's a cheap pickup. It's a one-year minor league signing with an invitation, non-roster invitation to spring training. It's exactly what the Tigers need, and I, I'm pretty. I'm cautiously optimistic about it because Fazio worked with Wood in with, with the Cubs. Yeah. And Wood, I think, is not too far removed from his quality seasons. And he's still young. Like, I think he'll be 31 going into this season. And to me, that's still enough left in your tank to kind of have a resurgent year or two. So... I'm yeah. interested to see what he does in spring training. He'll be vying for a starter position. Yep, and could possibly. That's the nice thing, and the thing I really liked about that, too, is that, um, you know, it's a minor league deal. Like, we talked about signing Chris Tillman, but then you put Chris Tillman in the rotation, and you can't send anyone down to the minor leagues who has an option to bring Daniel Norris up. And I, I have no interest in blocking Daniel Norris. So Travis Wood can kind of move back and forth, um, depending on, on the details of that contract. Sometimes there's the you don't call me up by this point you know you have to release me kind of a deal i would assume he's got something like that but he can come up and pitch out in relief to some degree it seems like he seems, has yeah he's done both so he's not unfamiliar with relief pitching he did some with the padres i think that's mark? or the reds maybe maybe it was the reds um he did yes i'm not i think he was starting pitcher with the padres i think you're right with the reds he was doing some relief pitching yeah um so he, he's not unfamiliar with either role and i think that 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 flexibility is actually really smart for the Tigers, who, with a lot of young starting catcher, starting pitchers kind of slotted in already, could really use that long middle relief as an option. And having guys who are proven starters but also have worked in relief 
is really great to give you that kind of long inning, the kind of leeway that you might need if a guy like Norris fries after after three, yeah. three innings. Yeah, and it also kind of, you know, I like it because having a few veterans in there who are kind of, um, you know, I'll do whatever you need type guys, I think is is good for the rest of the staff. Um, you know, there there might be some other some other guys who are kind of in a position of like, you know, we want you to relieve for a little while. Like, you never know, you know, if Boyd's struggling, um, they might decide to put Boyd in the bullpen again, which they did briefly a couple years ago. Um, and just having someone who's who's got that ethic of like, listen, you know, I'm just going to take the ball whenever you want and go out there and throw is probably good for him. I hear yeah, like well, nothing, nothing, you know, but good things about Travis Wood as far as like a competitor and teammate and stuff like that. And really, like his his three years with the Cubs were pretty good until last year. It, it all kind of just came unglued on him. Yeah, and I mean, look at how things worked for Shane Green. So having that willingness to move out of a starter role and into a bullpen role can kind of work out great sometimes. Yep. Yep. The one thing I noticed looking through his numbers real quick is just that, yeah, he did have a little bit of a velocity drop last year. Not bad, just like a mile per hour or two. Um, but we'll have to see if maybe he can get a little bit of that back. I don't know. I don't know enough about Travis Wood to know if maybe there was an injury that he kind of was pitching through. Um, that kind of thing can happen too. So, but anyway, you know, yeah, it's, it's just another like solid signing that we can, um, that we can kind of have, for spring training and to see, just give the guy a look, see what he's got, and decide if um, if he's worth taking taking north to Detroit. Um, and they've done a lot of that, um, just like they did last last off season. There've been a ton of minor league signings um, this 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 whole off season, really starting from the jump. Like, seems like they had like Ryan Carpenter and Kevin Comer and some of those guys like immediately, like as soon as the season, as soon as the World Series wrapped, um, they were on the I phone. I forgot we signed Ryan Carpenter until. Tiger's Caravan photos started coming out, and I'm like, who's this beardy guy? <laughs> yeah, we're all trying to sort these pictures out, like, who's this guy? Who's that guy? We're going to be playing who's that guy quite a bit this year, I'm afraid. Like, this long-haired hippie one's totally <clears throat> Reiniger. Yeah, that had to be Reiniger. I'm like, who are you people? Yeah, people were coming away from Tiger's Fest on Twitter, like, oh, who's that pretty guy? I was like, uh, <laughs> I don't think it's Norris right now with the beard the way it is, but, oh, Zach Reiniger, okay. <laughs> He's got a little bit of a Timmy Lincecum sort of look to him a little bit. Speaking of, I watched Dazed and Confused last night. Oh, Slater, yeah. For the first time. But the kid, like the young kid, the focus is oh, absolutely yeah. a tiny little Tim Lincecum. Like, not actually, but like he's actually a baseball pitcher in the movie. Yeah. Like a little like minor league, little league pitcher and has those long hair and like the look i'm like oh my god he looks like tim lincecum he does oh you know i never really yeah i never pieced that together it's i pulled up pictures and i like did a side-by-side comparison and it is absolutely spot on it's so funny oh yeah what happened to that kid <laughs> what was no, it is that wiley wiggins bad, yeah wiley wiggins is absolutely his name how did you know it's that? so weird and I think he did some other things with um, Richard Linkletter, the director of Days to Confuse, too. I, th- I think they'd worked together on some other things. But such a terrible actor. He kept, like, that bridge nose pinch that he was doing. I know. I know. But but then again, that awkward, the awkwardness of his acting almost just fit perfectly. So. Yeah, <laughs> he, he did not do much. He was in 12 movies total. Nah, well, I'm, I'm sorry there, Wiley Wiggins. I hope your parents were smart and invested the money. <laughs> He's probably, like, running some company now or something. Okay, podcast boy. I'm doing just fine, thanks. Yeah, he'll be like, whatever, I've got my millions in the bank. You work at a library. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, just to run down on that, that Bazio article, I mean, there was just kind of a, a couple key things. Like, 
Um, obviously, Jordan Zimmerman is going to have to have another injection in his neck, and we don't know what's going to go on there. But um, Bazio kind of talked about Jordan Zimmerman and about um, watching a lot of, of film from his days in Washington with the Nationals and just seeing that he's working um, a lot slower and more deliberately than he did back then. And he talked quite a bit about wanting not just not just Zimmerman, but his whole staff to be guys who get on the mound, take the ball, have no need for a pitch clock, and are just are aggressive, are pumping the ball in there, getting it, pitching it, um, you know, st- kind of standing there glaring at the hitter and tapping their foot like, let's go. Like, he wants that up-tempo pitching staff um, that's not afraid to throw inside and throws a ton, ton of strikes and just kind of comes right at you. Um, so that's, you know, that's kind of his, his guiding philosophy. Um, you know, he did talk a lot about how each pitcher is different and he'll work with them each in different ways. But as far as um, his guiding philosophy, that's kind of how he wants them to go about it. And um, I don't know, you know, I don't really know what to expect from Jordan Zimmerman anymore. I, I don't expect anything, I guess. And We'll just hope um, hope he can find something because you know he was a guy I really liked when he was with Washington. I was happy we got him. Um, you know there really wasn't a better option that we needed. We needed him to come in and be good, and unfortunately he hasn't. And that was unfortunately I don't want to pin this on Jordan Zimmerman, but that's one of the main reasons why the Tigers fell short the past few years um, was just they just got nothing out of him. So we'll see if he can um, get him, get himself or at least maybe get used to to the, dealing with that condition and managing it a little better. Maybe that'll help him, but. Um, Hard to have much optimism. Uh, Michael Fulmer, um, what was the thing Bazio had for him? He, oh, he really wanted him to work. They want to work on their sli- on his slider, um, which I think everybody kind of looks at with Michael Fulmer as kind of the, the final piece of the puzzle is that if he could get a little bit more swing and miss with his slider, um, you know, he, he'd, he'd vault right up there into the guys who, who have, like, the best peripheral numbers in the game. Um, he's already, obviously, one of the best starters, but but getting those those extra strikeouts um, and keeping the ball out of play a little bit more would, would be good for him, and it would also be good for his trade value. Um, every time, yeah, I know, every time, you know, a Fulmer trade comes up, that's what people bring up is, you know, we don't want to pay that much because he's not striking out enough guys. Um, and yeah, we can have that discussion as well some other time because, yeah, I'm still not real convinced I even want to trade Michael Fulmer either. Like, I'm kind of of, of the mind that, like, let's... Let's see how it goes, but Michael Fulmer could could well be a guy who's you know big, durable, hard thrower who can pitch for you for a long time. He's very, very valuable. But like, let me have something. I know we do need something to watch her. Yeah, Fulmer's development is another reason I'm really sad that that Verlander had to go. Um, and I and I don't bemoan the Verlander trade anymore. Like it was a smart move and it had to be done. And he's gonna you know he'll be back in two seasons. Yep. I believe. Let's hope so. That. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be pushing. Tiger, I, I believe it. I think, yeah. But I, I'm sad that he's not there for those guys like Fulmer and Norris because you could really see in last season that he was working at guiding them and like giving them tips, and, and I think that that's something that's really going to be missing, and it kind of bums me out because Verlander was one of those great pitchers who continued to develop and find new ways. To, to move and to create pitches even as he established himself as a veteran pitcher. Like he was always changing things and, and finding, what was it like a slider? Like a, he yeah. had like a new pitch two years ago that was, he insisted he didn't. Um, yeah. It was a hard slider. He said, but it looked like a cutter and he didn't want it to be a cutter. It he was, a cutter. Yeah. he insisted it wasn't a cutter, but yeah. it absolutely was a cutter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But like, He's, he's so willing to develop, and I think that that's something that he could have really helped those young guys with. 
in like that that learning how to adapt and then picking up those kinds of pitches and and i'm sure they'll find new ways to do it but it sure. does make me sad that he's not there to be that like that guy for them yeah and i know like from the time you know th- those guys showed up in detroit he was on them about their conditioning like you know verlander's a pretty notorious workout fanatic um who's he's told the story a lot of times about how his rookie season like he thought everything was going great and you know people were telling him you know like you got to keep you know you got to keep your workouts up like don't lay off just because you're sore and your arm is about you know bothering you here and there you got to push through it and he didn't do it as much as he should have and just basically gassed out um at toward the end of that season so he's been a maniac about that ever since um and you know pretty obviously the most durable hard thrower you know most of us have ever seen since you know whoever nolan ryan or or what have you it's been a while so um, yeah, he's kind of a unique cat that way, but it was kind of cool to see, um, you know, Fulmer, I think, and Norris both tweeted things out this winter on Twitter about, you know, like, Verlander getting in touch with him, checking on Fulmer to see how the surgery went and how things were going and all that. So that was kind of cool. It's good to, you know, it's good to know that these guys, um, you know, actually give a damn about each other as, you know, yeah. beyond just being teammates. So that was kind of cool. And as a new, newly minted semi-Houston Astros fan this year... <laughs> I'll uh, I'll keep us uh, informed with what Justin Verlander is up to because yeah, I won't give I won't give up on him. Verlander is my guy. He's still a tiger who's just wearing the same colored uniform in a different location. Yeah, we just we just rented him out briefly. Yeah, yeah, fine. They've got him on loan and they'll return him to us in two seasons so he can finish his career where he started it. That's what I refuse to believe anything else will happen. Yep, and you know, and what this what this all comes back to with Chris Basio is just um you know and the pitching staff is just health um you know. It's going to come down to, you know, Michael Fulmer seems like he's fine. Um, That nerve transposition surgery generally goes well. It doesn't involve a repair of anything. They just kind of basically like shift where the nerve is so that it's not rubbing up against the the elbow joint in the same way or in the UCL, um, which was causing that numbness. So he should be fine. It sounds like he's fine. Um, He's throwing at full strength already. Um, Looks like he's good to go. And Daniel Norris... Um, went to a professional training institute finally this offseason rather than, uh, you know, whatever, lifting driftwood or whatever it was he was doing. Wrestling. He was doing crunches on a cooler. Yep. Wrestling sea lions and bears and whatever. So, yeah, he actually went to a place that has, you know, high-quality training, um, physical therapists, and people who could kind of diagnose any any sort of musculoskeletal issues that he had. And it, it turns out that, as a lot of us had kind of pointed out over the years, he has pretty pretty tight hips. And um, supposedly they worked a lot on that and kind of and have gotten a lot better range of motion and strength in that portion of his body, which should help him a lot. So um, I'm interested to see what he can do this year. He's kind of like my key guy. You know, we talked a little bit um, behind the scenes on the site over the past week or two. Like, who's your guy? Like, who who is the key for this season such as it is? And um, for me, yeah, it's definitely going to be seeing if Daniel Norris can kind of thrive under Basio. Um, with a little bit better conditioning and see if he can take the next step because he's he's still got a ton of potential and it would really speed the rebuild up if Matt Boyd and Daniel Norris both became you know even just average starters who could eat a bunch of innings um, and both of them have the potential for more so for me those are the two guys like that's that's what I'm watching this season is to see if those guys can kind of finally live up to some of the potential a little bit more. Yeah, Norris was both I think you and I's pick. For, for the the one to watch this season, like, I know there's a lot of guys out there, but he's the one who's like kind of had that trapped potential for so long, and and I do hope to see him, 
kind of get to that point this year. Yeah, and still, you know, still just 24 years old, like still super young. Like we have Kristen Stewart and Mike Gerber um, still in the minor leagues who are older than Daniel by over a year. So, yeah, you know, yeah, he came up early. It's kind of like Nick, you know, like Nick the past couple years has turned himself into a little bit more of a dependable, like I know Nick Castellanos is going to hit. Um, please get him off third base, which they've done, but he, he's going to hit, and you can kind of see, like, yeah, maybe had they left him down in the minors an extra year or two, um, we'd still have more control just as he's coming into his prime. So, you know, these are, these are the decisions that uh, an empire, a waning empire, some, sometimes hastily makes, and, yeah, like everything else, now we're going to have to kind of live with it. So, um, Yeah, we've kind of hit on most of the, the major topics that kind of came across the site this week. Um, the last thing I want to talk about was more of a general general baseball topic because our old buddy Rob Manfred continues to to make a lot more news than the free agent market does and uh, came out this week and was talking a lot about the pitch clock and whether or not they were going to force the pitch clock on the players, um, which they don't want to do. And it sounds like after some meetings with Tony Clark and the MLBPA, um, he's decided that they're not going to inst- institute the pitch clock this year. And what they're going to do instead is is just encourage players to play the game faster and more the way it's supposed to be played. And that if they can do that, an average game times drop to, I think, what did he say? 255. Yeah. 255 if they get down to that, they will just leave it alone and not institute the, the pitch clock. And to me, that that all seems like kind of a reasonable compromise. Um, how did you feel about that? I mean, were you against the pitch clock kind of from the beginning? or? No, I don't. I don't. <laughs> yeah. I have my I did a Twitter poll about this, Brandon, and it's had almost four hundred votes at this point. See, people care though, yeah. No, they don't. That's the thing. But they cared enough to vote. Thirty eight percent do not care. Thirty percent don't think it matters, and thirty two percent totally care about it. So yeah. that's where we're at right now. So I think it kinda leans towards at least two thirds of people don't care one way or the other. Yeah. And I yeah. I, I think it's annoying to kind of, it, it, it's kind of like this overlord scolding thing to have like, oh, you know, you're on the clock, literally, like have a guy out there holding like a timer on you. It'll literally be a digital clock. Hang on. They already have them at stadiums, which yeah. is the thing that I find hilarious. Yeah, there's already clocks everywhere. <laughs> clocks exist. They're there to mark the time between inning changes from the top to the bottom of the inning. So the clock is already there. Yep. Every stadium already has one. Most people don't even notice it. Yep. And I made this joke before, but unless you're Clay Buckholtz, it doesn't matter. Most guys are performing fast enough that the pitch clock shouldn't make a difference. Yep. And I think there's a pretty good argument that if you... If you needed the pitch clock, you're you probably the pitch clock will probably be good for you. If <laughs> if you're that slow, you probably do need to speed it up. Because I mean, I've just never never seen a pitching coach say to anybody like, "Take your time, just just stand out there and think about yeah. things, rub that ball up a little longer." Like nobody says this, you know. Get up there, yeah. attack the, the the hitter. Yeah, I think it was like the pitching ninja Twitter account the other day shared an incredible Max Scherzer video clip. It's just like, when he's ready, he's going. Like, he doesn't care about your inbox antics. If you're standing there and you're not under the box, he's going to throw that pitch to you. Oh, yeah, guys who spent, like, like, ten yeah, ten seconds, yeah. like, adjusting their gloves and they've still got their hand yeah, up. Like, it's not all on the pitcher. Like, the guys batting are there, you know, adjusting their grip and their gloves and their helmet after every single swing. So it's it's a whole, like, horse and pony, like, dog and pony show that's, like, a little bit ridiculous. But, and, and I'm sure there are ways to cut it down, but in the long run, I don't 
think that throwing a pitch clock up there is a going to make your games that much shorter to begin with. Yeah. So I don't think it's really necessary. But I also don't think it's going to be the thing that makes or breaks it. Like somebody commented on my uh, on my Twitter feed that they'll refuse to watch baseball. <laughs> the clock goes onto the field. And one, I wanted to point out that the clock is already there. And yep. two, I wanted to be like, you're not going to stop watching baseball. Are you kidding me? Yep. Like, if that's the thing that makes you quit baseball, and it's... Like, yeah, it didn't have too much of a hold on you anyway, clearly. You know, yeah. ludicrousness of that sentiment. Like, yep. that's what it does. That that's the breaking point. We're in, a, we're in a time of bold and unlikely proclamations from people constantly. Yeah. <laughs> know it was just hyperbole but i had to chuckle at that like no you're not don't 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 joke with me yeah guy walks into the stadium and sees this giant like back to the future clock out in center field oh nope turns around burns his season tickets in the parking lot throws his hat down i'm done I'm gonna be a football fan now. Yep. They don't have clocks for anything. This was the this was the last place on earth that you could go, and there was <laughs> the, everything was untimed, and you've ruined it. Yeah, I love the idea. Like scaling back five minutes under three hours is all. Yeah, I know. I don't know. And the thing is, like, I don't like the, the pitch clock. I'm definitely someone who didn't really want the pitch clock, but I don't really care that much. It's just, to me, it just seems like another, like, diversion from, like, the actual issues that are making games, you know, so long. And it just, he just, you know, the commissioner kind of keeps focusing on things like the pitch clock or, you know, and bringing up, like, the ghost runner on second idea that they want to try out in extra innings in some games. And it's just like, you know... It, He's really distracting, in my opinion, from what from what the real issues are there, and just and trying to get around the fact that a lot of it just comes down to, you know, enforcing the rules that are already on the books for one, uh, you know, shorter commercial times because commercial blocks are like five times longer than they were forty or fifty years ago, and you know that could help, but of course everyone just mocks that like oh like that's going to happen. Well, you know that's fine, but that's their decision them adding commercials on top of gameplay and that was pretty weird it is weird like i don't mind that if it would if it would actually cut into the regular commercial blocks but it just seemed like it was additional so i'm not sure yeah i mean as an mlb tv subscriber honestly i end up just seeing a blank screen that says commercial break in progress for half my game oh yeah so it's not like i actually see most of the commercials. <laughs> you're, not, you're not down here being just pelted with little caesars and yeah, no, the Bernstein I, law firm, endless commercials and stuff, yeah. I get to see the banners on the bottom, though, and I can tell you absolutely who sponsors every part of a Tigers game. <laughs> a wall side windows pitching change is no stranger to me. Yep, wall side is there for sure. <clears throat> and the final, all right, the final thing um, that's kind of more league-wide is that everyone is finally on board. We've kind of written about this on the site quite a bit um, the past couple of years, but there's finally going to be netting. Uh, at most parks, all the way down the the baselines, basically to the foul pole. Um, at other ones, it's not going to go quite that far. It's going to go what like past the dugout a little ways. The end of the dugout, I think, for a lot of them. Yeah. So this seems like you know something who, whose time has just come. Unfortunately, you know, I, a lot of people are upset about this, but you know, as as many people have wisely rebutted on Twitter and elsewhere, um, you know, people pay the most money for the seats behind the screen, so you're going to get used to it, and it's not going to be a problem. You're going to get over it really quick. 
and I think as far as the viewing um, experience is concerned, that is that is truth. I I really think you know it it seems like it's going to be a big deal at first, but when you actually um, if you've sat behind home plate or you know if if you get out there this year and have that experience, it's not going to bother you. You're going to get you're going to get used to it pretty quick. Yeah, and I think they're saying a, a lot of places are going to go with a green netting as opposed to a white which makes it an almost transparent experience. And the, the teams are taking it really seriously. Like they are testing different options to make it the most invisible it can possibly be. Yeah, that transparent yeah. camo material they're trying. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're trying everything to make sure that that experience isn't interrupted, but that the safety aspect is there. Like I, I in writing for both the Tigers and the Rays, there's like horror stories from both camps that make it a no-brainer that these teams are picking up and and doing this. Like, just 2015, a woman got hit in the side of the head at a Tigers game by an Anthony Ghost foul tip, and she hasn't been able to work since. Yep. And fans have gotten hit in the face, and it's not worth it for the off chance that you... And Yeah, good luck to you catching that line drive that's barreling at you at 110 miles an hour. Like... Yep. It's much better if that's a pop-up coming over the netting at you and you get a chance at it then. Or pieces of bats. We're seeing bats breaking left, right, and center and having those go flying into the crowd over the dugout. That's not safe either. So, yeah, okay. So you can't rush up to the dugout and get your autographs behind it because there's a net in the way now. Uh, Boo-hoo. You're probably an adult. So, I mean don't do that. Oh yeah, you probably shouldn't be crowding right there to begin with. Since most of them end at the end of the dugout, kids will still be able to go around the side and get their signatures. I like You're not going to feel disconnected from the game because there's a net in the way. Like you said, if you're paying those premium prices for like right behind home plate, which is where I always sit at minor league games, you have a net in front of your face the whole time anyway. And, and it's a, it and it's out of it. exactly, and it's a very useful net if you're really a pitching dork, because you basically have a grid superimposed <laughs> over over the strike zone and the pitcher. I I love I love the screen for that for that purpose. Yeah, and I I don't think I think it's one of those things that you can complain about now, and if that's what you want to complain about, and that's your hill to die on, go to town. Yeah. Um, but in a year, nobody's going to remember that this was a big deal. Yeah, I mean, I I think some people, you know, some people will, and I and I was like the guy who for a long time was like, well, if people would pay more attention, um, I I've been like pretty thoroughly disabused of that notion. Um, you know, the, I think what happened for the longest time is that when a fan got really hurt at a game, the cameras turned away and no one even mentioned it. Like no one acknowledged that it went on. Um, you know, if if you kind of look into it, there have been people hurt all throughout baseball's history. And we're just in a time where, you know, they've just got to do something about it in the same way that the, the NFL had to at least, like, make some effort to address the fact that people are, um, you know, killing themselves and giving themselves brain damage on the field. Um, there was just too many, too many incidents of people getting hit in the head. And, you know, the whole canard about oh, if people weren't on their cell phone, they'd be paying attention. It's just nonsense, because if a ball that you're not expecting is coming at you with a ton of backspin on it at 85, 80 miles per hour or more, most people aren't equipped to catch that. And I don't care if you have a glove. I don't care about your high school glory days, college glory days, any of that. There's families out there. There's people, you know, looking out for multiple toddlers and trying to keep everybody safe. People holding babies. Yeah, and it's just gotta happen. Hit in the face with balls 
before cell phones even existed. Yeah. So it's not like this is a new problem created by people Instagramming things. Like it's that feeling of wanting to be more a part of the game than you are, you know. And I think that's kind of always that's always been a part of like the whole getting a foul ball experience. Like the guy who makes the catch, you know. Oh, you're part of the game. People were not part of the game. Like, just you, you just got to get over that part of it. There's still going to be pop-ups and fly balls that get in the stands. Um, if you're out there in center field or left and right, you're gonna gonna have chances at home run balls. It's gonna be okay. The only thing, the only thing that bothers me about this, and there's just nothing that can be done, but I don't like it. Is remember that kid, um, that Cleveland Indians fan, maybe two years ago, who picked that. Um, that grounder over on the first base side and then started yelling at Miggy and, uh, and you know, kind of pounding his chest and all that kind of stuff. There's going to be some little moments like that that, that we do lose. Um, and, that, and that is too bad, but for the safety of a lot of people, um, you know, not catching a smoking hot line drive in the face, um, I think we're just going to have to make the sacrifice. Yeah, I think, I think we'll be okay. Like, uh, yeah, we'll lose those things, but, I mean, you still wouldn't at Comerica, they're only going to the end of the dugout, so you still wouldn't have lost that great Prince Fielder going for a foul ball and stealing a nacho moment. Like, that's still going to be there. Yeah. And I think, like, the screen is going to be kind of, like, low, too. It's not going to be, you know, raised up to protect... You know, in the upper deck, you're not getting too many line drives, like, coming straight back at you. It's not happening that way, so... Yeah, I don't think if you're, you know, if you're in the upper deck, you're going to be able to see over it. If you're, you know, sitting way up the, the, the first level, it's probably not going to be too much in your field of vision. There's probably going to be some some bad spot. <laughs> like, that, this is how it always goes. You know, going to Comiskey Park and Tiger Stadium as a kid, there were always spots where you just, like, you're just going to have to deal with the pole blocking, like, one entire position. Like, you wouldn't be able to see shortstop and what was going on there. It was just, yeah, it was the way it, you know, the way it went. But I don't think it's even going to come, come come close to being um, that obtrusive. So, everybody just, let's see how it goes. Yeah, we'll have to play it out. We haven't even seen the netting yet, so it'll, it'll all depend on how it goes. Yeah, and, you know, it's just, just one of those things whose time has come. I'm really amazed that golf hasn't had to do this. You know, you watch these people standing right, you know, like, 10 feet from some dude about to rip a ball like 110 miles per hour. Uh, I don't understand how more people aren't, aren't badly injured in golf. <laughs> there's, there's just, you know, people just milling around, having drinks, sitting there picnicking in the grass, and, like, this ball just comes flying in at them. But, I don't know. They, they, may, uh, they may have to do something one of these days as well. I don't know what they could do, but for baseball, it's easy. Ball. Yeah, it's a, it's a nasty, <laughs> small, hard ball. <laughs> Probably hurts just as much. I, yeah, I think it focuses the uh, focuses the impact a little more. A buddy of mine got hit in the forearm from about ten feet away. This is a whole idiot shenanigans thing when we were about ten, and oh man, I mean, it fractured his arm, and the whole thing was just like purple and like the size of a softball in like moments. It was it was awful. Yuck. Yeah, yeah, golf balls are dangerous too, people. All right, and with that, I think we've covered everything that we came to cover. Is, all the bases. Did you actually record this whole podcast? Checking. Yep. <laughs> I have, in fact, recorded this whole podcast. All right. All right. And now and then an hour. <laughs> oh, you know what? It didn't work. Right. I'm just le- slowly learning your schedule, and then it'll be like, oh, actually, I've got to record at 6, you know, and you'll be like, oh, but I can't. And I'll be like, well, sorry. Hey, Rob, how's it going? No. Yeah, I'm on to you. No, we love you. <laughs> Good. We're intimidated. We're intimidated by your work ethic. Although, you know, the other thing, too, you posted something about how many words you wrote this month. How many words? 25,000. 
thousand. Twenty-five thousand. That's fiction. Yeah. Oh my god, that's incredible. Oh, that's ridiculous. Because I saw that and I was like, that is mind-boggling. And then I also thought to myself, like, oh, I wonder how much I wrote. And I looked and I was like, oh, I wrote like 15,000 words. But that was just on the site. And you probably wrote 15,000 words on the site as well. Yeah, you know, I started tracking it. So it's going to be less than you because you're a lot more wordy. Yeah, than yeah. Articles. But those history pieces are averaging about 1,000 a piece. So yeah. That adds up. Yep, there's going to be a lot of meat on the bone in the, in the history, the history articles this year, I think. I'm, I'm enjoying it. Well, I have a history degree, so it's... My my loves combined is history and baseball, so it's it's a very enjoyable pursuit for me. Beautiful, yeah. But I'm a history fanatic, and it was my minor, so yeah, I'm I'm super interested to see what you come up with on these. Maybe I'll maybe I'll even hunt around and try to find something. I wrote a Gates Brown piece last year where I looked into the Gates Brown Ryan Rayburn weirdness, the up down theory weirdness. That was kind of a, that was a fun one to write. But all right, we're going to let you go. Uh, we'll welcome you all back. Hopefully we'll be recording next Tuesday. I think that's what's going to happen, and we are going to try to have a prospect episode. So keep an eye out for all those prospect list articles coming out. Um, we're going to have plenty of good coverage on the prospects, and spring training, of course, is slowly, slowly creeping toward us. And maybe some free agents will sign at some point. I don't know. Maybe. Or maybe they'll just yeah. form their own team. I don't know. The expansion team. It'll be great. Yep. We'll call them the Montreal Expos. <laughs> I'm for it as a Canadian. Yeah, I know. I know you'd be down for that. Or the Winnipeg Flames or something. Yeah, the Calgary. We'll Calgary. I know. I was trying. No, I know, but I was trying to balance the two. I didn't want to leave the fair people of Calgary out. Who are the Winnipeg? The Jets, right? Yeah, okay. The Jets are our hockey team. Our minor league unaffiliated baseball team is the Gold Eyes. Mm, the Gold Eyes. Man, I, yeah, man, I don't like it. Exciting stuff. We had one of the guys from the Gold Eyes sign with the Dodgers this year. That was exciting. Oh, that is cool. Yeah, yeah. It's nice when somebody makes it out of unaffiliated affiliated baseball because that's just, you know, that's like the end of the dream, like the hard, bitter yeah. kernel of the dream that you're still gnawing on. So when somebody makes it out, it's great. Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yep. All righty. We're going we're gonna to hang it up, and we will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everyone out there, for joining us. Um, please follow us on Twitter at Fiscadoro74. You can.